0: Good morning. morning. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Hope you all have had a great morning so far with your family and uh, with your kids. If you have kids in the house, I know many of you are probably going to be traveling later or have already done your traveling and uh, probably have some activities set up for later in the day. Uh, So, with that in mind this morning, I want us to jump right into what we're going to be looking at. Uh, For the last three weeks, we've been dealing with what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity, as we've been looking at God's presence and we've been looking at the father and the son and the holy spirit and we've been unpacking it every single week and this morning it brings us into christmas and the reason we spend some time with dealing with the trinity and the doctrine of trinity is because there's a verse in John chapter 1 verse 18 that says no one has ever seen god the only god who's at the father's side he has made him known and uh, though the that's from the english standard version of the bible and it's one of the more accurate, not the only accurate, but one of the more accurate translations from the original language of the Greek. It can be kind of clumpy. I came across a new version uh, called the Modern English Translation. I don't use it very often, but I like how it reads this, uh, John one eighteen. It says, It is true that no one has ever seen God at any time, yet the divine and only Son, who lives in the closest intimacy with the Father, has made him known, and as we stated the last several weeks, we were focusing on the Trinity and bringing us into Christmas. This morning is because Jesus was born to make God known, and if He came to make God known, then we, as God's people, should know who God is. And so we've walked through again the Trinity, bringing us now to Christmas morning. Now, typically, when I think of Christmas. Uh, scripturally, as some of the songs we sang this morning, you know, you think of uh, the little manger. You think of a young mother named Mary. You think of a nervous father named Joseph, a stable, a couple shepherds, some angels appearing in the, in the heavens or in the sky. Maybe we even picture some sheep. Some of y'all throw in some wise men in there, but like we've mentioned in the past, the wise men actually don't belong in there, they come a little bit later. I know the world has added things to Christmas, many things uh, like traditions that we have, for example, uh, for movies. How many of you have done all of your Christmas movies on your list that you have to watch every single year? Yeah, okay, so when when we put up the Christmas tree in the Hurchin house for the first time, or the only time, (laughs) uh, as soon as it's up and it's decorated, we watch Elf. That is our family Christmas movie. I don't know why. It just all makes us laugh, and we all seem to enjoy it. And I know my mom, every year, she has to watch It's a Wonderful Life at least once, maybe twice. And she's made me endure it uh, when I've gone to her house before. And if you're a Wonderful Life type of movie person, then God bless you, but it's not my thing. Um, but there's other movies I know we watch. You know, we have songs that we sing typically only around this time of year, except for Lisa Treat. She sings them all year round. But most of us only sing them from, you know, after Thanksgiving until Christmas, and then on December 26th, we stopped singing those songs, you know, we're like, we're done with Christmas, you know, I was in the grocery store uh, this week, and I was talking to one of the cashiers who had come to Wednesday Night Live in the past, and she's graduated now, but I said, so uh, how are you enjoying your Christmas music, and she just kind of gave me a look, because if you ever worked in a grocery store, that's all they play over and over again, she goes, it's quite repetitive, (laughs) So (laughs) I said, well, Merry Christmas. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's TV specials. You know, Hallmark obviously reigns supreme, I guess. I've never watched a Hallmark movie. I don't know if I ever will. I don't plan on it. It's not in my calendar or my schedule. But I know some of you are avid Hallmark movie watchers. We have gift giving, which is probably the closest thing we have that comes to the Christmas story and giving gifts and God giving his uh, eternal gift through his son. You know, there's lights we put up and decorations we put around the house and in the house and anywhere we can on the cars, and then we have ugly sweaters and ugly outfits and unique outfits (laughs) that light up. Um, But many of us know as believers that it is all about Jesus Christ coming in the form of a baby to be born in Bethlehem. And this morning, we're going to see the biblical impact of what it is when we celebrate Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you brought a Bible with you. If not, pull out your phone or whatever tablet you're going to go to your Scriptures and make your way to the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking in verses 15 through 23 this morning. This letter is written by the Apostle Paul. And he's led by the Spirit to write to a group of believers in the region of Colossae uh, who are strong in the faith. And he, he... He is glad to hear of the faith they have and the faith that is being spread around the world about what they have. But in the midst of being strong in the faith, they're having some problematic teachings when it comes to who Jesus Christ is. And it's the same problems that we can endure when it comes to this time of year that we know as Christmas. So in our passage, just an overall theme of our passage in verse 15 through 23, Paul is led to point to Christ's supremacy. And how he reigns supreme. He's going to say that he is above all things. Because it is Christ who created all things. He is before all things. He is above all of God's people. Being the church and his bride. He defeated all. Because he conquered death. And by his own death and resurrection. He now can reconcile and redeem all. So let's read our passage. And again we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 15, the word of the Lord says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time of year. And we open your word, and we pray that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear your word, to understand your word, to know exactly who you are and what you did because you loved us. Father, I pray you just use me as an instrument of your righteousness, and that it would only be your kingdom and your will that would be done here this morning. We praise you for you are good. You're loving, you're merciful, you're kind, you're a God of grace. Lord, you alone be glorified in this time. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. So first, as we think as sweet little baby Jesus, let's deal with some of the emphatic statements that Paul is led to write in this passage we've looked at this morning. Even though Jesus came as a sweet little baby... It does not deny his supremacy. It does not deny his authority. And Paul's led to point out five emphatic statements concerning who Jesus is in this passage. And he makes even more throughout the letter. It deals with who he is. He wants believers. He wants us to know who Christ is. First he says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And though Scripture reveals that God can be uh, known throughout his all creation, what Scripture also reveals is no man can look upon the holiness of God. And this became a stumbling block to God's people in the Old Testament. As they wanted to see God, so they began to make gods and make idols so they could see and they could touch things. Because they didn't want to just trust a God they couldn't see. They didn't want just to trust his word and have faith in his word. They, they wanted something they could control. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, when Moses is preparing to lead God's people into the promised land, he comes upon God and he makes a request. God, would you let me see your face? To which God responds, you cannot. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The reason this is, and we all have to understand that, is is no one can see God because no matter how good of a person or people we are, no matter how many good things we do, no matter how many times we go to church or read our Bible or memorize Scripture or sing worship songs, we're still sinful. In the midst of our sinful nature, God is always holy. When the prophet Isaiah had the vision and came into the throne room of God, he Immediately understood the implications of who he was compared to the holiness of God. Yet we find in this passage, we find throughout the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, God does something unimaginable at this time of year that we call Christmas. The God who is invisible came to make himself known and visible. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 2 9 says that, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in Christ, the whole deity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit dwelled bodily. That's why John 1.18 says that Jesus came to make him known. The truth of this statement is even though God cannot be seen by sinful man, God still wants to be known through his Son, and he wants to be known through his word. Look in verse 17. And he is before all things. Something we have to realize is Jesus did not come into existence when he was born in a little town of Bethlehem. Jesus, even sweet baby Jesus, has always been. And why it's important to know is because this means that our salvation and our redemption has always been a part of God's plan. God has always known you and known me, and he has always loved you, and he's always loved me. And he's always wanted to save us. It was from the very beginning of time. The Gospel of John begins with such a statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. That's why we read in Romans 11.30. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus declares to John in a vision, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. It is for this reason when all things are said and done, Every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even though we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Bible declares that he has been reigning supreme over all creation, and he will always reign supreme over all creation. Verse 18, he is the head of the body which is the church. So not only does Christ reign supreme over all creation, he reigns supreme over all time, but he also has to reign supreme over all the church. It is not the pastor. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. It's not any other leaders within the church or any other body that rules the church. Christ rules the church. Christ leads the church. And if we ever lose focus of following his lead, we'll end up in a mess. He is to be supreme. The church is Christ's bride. It is his physical representation of his body on this earth. That's what the Bible defines it. The church is the body of Christ. That means the church, when God's people gather in the name of Jesus Christ, it is here to represent him and him alone. The earth, the world has to see the church as Christ and that representation. And Christ has given us the authority to do such a task because he is almighty. Again, looking at verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And this isn't the first time that Paul was led to bring up that phrase, firstborn. Jumping back to verse 15, he says, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Verse 15, the point is to show that Christ rules over everything. He has control over all of it, Even when we look at the world and watch the news and we think it's going crazy and it's out of control, guess who is still in control of it? Christ. He reigns over it. And nothing ever surprises him. Everything is going according to his plan, even if we don't like it. It means that all people and all things are under his authority. Even the people who don't recognize Christ's authority or even live under his authority. This again is why in the end that all people are going to have to give an account of their life to him. They're going to have to give account of their life to Christ. Then it says again back in verse 18, he is the firstborn from the dead, which is speaking of why Jesus was born in the manger town of Bethlehem. Jesus was born not for us to watch Christmas movies, not for us to put Christmas lights up, not to wear ugly sweaters, not to sing Christmas songs. Jesus was born to die. That was the point. And he did just that, but here's the glorious part. He did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. That's why Paul's let's say he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning of salvation, and he is the beginning of eternal life. So when Mary and Joseph held their little sweet baby boy, they were looking and holding the Savior of the world. That is what the angel tried to tell Joseph in the dream. He says that he will save his people from their sins. This is what the angels meant when they sang over the shepherds about the birth of Jesus. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christmas is a great time of year. We see family, we smile more, I think. We lose sleep. (laughs) But it's still a great time of year. Lots of celebrations and lights and festivities. The reason this time of year is so great. It's because God, the creator, stepped out of the heavens to be born as a baby in Jesus, to save us. He came to die for our sins, to give us forgiveness, that we might have eternal life. And this gift is for all people. Christmas tends to focus on the birth of Jesus, but the reality, here's, here's Christmas in a nutshell. Many of us know this verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, and whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Finally, coming back to our passage, look in verse 22. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That word reconciled there in verse 22 means to be made right. It's to be brought back in harmony. What it's telling us is that we who were once dead in our sins. We who were once lost and walking astray. Through the death and resurrection of Christ and our faith in Christ alone, we have now been made right with a holy God. The he at the beginning of verse 22 is pointing to Christ. The him at the end of verse 22 is pointing to God. God. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, For our sake He made Him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 4, 25 tells us that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And as a believer, we need to love that word that the Holy Spirit led Paul to use in the word Justification. Justification means that if we are in fact found in Christ, meaning we have confessed our need for forgiveness for our sins, we have confessed our need for Christ to take our sins and to forgive us of our sins, then in the eyes of God we are no longer seen in our sin, but we are seen by a holy God as if we never sinned, and we are now sinless just as Christ is sinless before God. Justified. Praise the Lord. Galatians 3.13 reads, "The Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's why He was born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The full presence of God dwelled in a baby known as Jesus. And for this He is worthy of our worship. Verse 16 says, For all things were created through Him, and for him. This is why we celebrate right now. It's because who he is and what he did. And Paul almost uses poetry here in pointing out about Christ. Verse 15, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, in him, all things hold together. Verse 19, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 20, through him, to reconcile to himself all things. Colossians 2.9, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And because of him, verse 22, we are now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him who is a holy God. I want to invite Esther and Jamie to come up to sing a song that I believe captures the beauty of Christmas in which God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit dwelt. Two stipulations that we can't overlook. Verse twenty-three: If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. First stipulation is directed toward believers. We don't just hold a hope in a baby being born in Bethlehem. We hold a faith and a trust that that baby boy fulfilled prophecies thousands of years before he was even born. We cling to the hope that this baby boy, as verse 20 says came to make peace by the blood of his cross. So when we celebrate Christmas, we are in essence celebrating the time of year we know as Easter. The ultimate purpose for Jesus to be born was so that he could die. And so we are told here in verse 23 to remain grounded, to remain stable to remain steadfast in the faith and to continue to cling to the gospel. The second stipulation is the underlining one to unbelievers. And it's this, if you are not found in Christ, meaning you have not accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you have not found forgiveness and you have not proclaimed your need for Him, then the Bible, God says through his word, you are still in your sin, which means that you are now in the state where you are separated from the God who loves you and the God who wants you. But that can change today. Because Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross and he rose again to show that he has the authority to forgive sins and to grant eternal life. And if you are an unbeliever, you have yet to accept this incredible gospel message, this incredible love God has for you. Then you're not here just because it's Christmas. You're here because the God who loves you has drawn you to himself. And he wants you to understand the gospel, the good news that God created you for a relationship with Him. And it is your sin that is separating you from that relationship. It is your sin that is separating you from the God who loves you. And being here on Christmas or even coming back on Easter or coming every single Sunday is not going to remove your sin problem. You cannot do enough good things to remove it. I cannot do enough good things to remove it. That's why Christmas is so important. Because God sent His Son, His only Son. There was no plan B. To live a life we couldn't, to die on a cross and to rise again so we might find forgiveness and be reconciled back to God. And the Bible says that if we admit to God that we are sinner, we believe that God loves us that much, we believe in that gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we confess our need for forgiveness, and our need and desire for eternal life in heaven. The Bible says if we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And so this may be the most important gift you can receive this Christmas year, is eternal life. And if you're here this morning and, you, and you're unsure, I don't know if I've done that, or you know for sure, certainty, because the Holy Spirit is getting a hold of your heart, that you need to be saved Today. I'm going to invite you to come down. You don't have to stand in front of you. You just come and sit in the front row right here. It's, it's empty. It's ready for you. I'll sit by you. I'll pray with you. We'll celebrate together, and there will not be a person in this room that won't celebrate with you. God loves you, and he wants you. Brothers and sisters of Christ, let's not forget, as we get through all the craziness of this year, it is a great time to celebrate. Let's celebrate he came to save us. That's Christmas. I'm going to invite Nick to come up and lead us in a time of invitation. And if you need to respond, I'm going to invite you to come down. But I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, thank you for coming and doing what we could not. Lord, I thank you that you wanted to save us, and you want to save those who are here this morning who are still in their sin. Father, I pray your spirit will come upon them with such conviction that they they just can't stay where they are. They have to come down and sit in the front row, and that this would be the day of their salvation. Lord, as your people, as your children, help us to stay focused on you, despite everything that may be happening the rest of this day or the rest of this week. Help us to remember what you did for us and coming out of the heavens to save us. And let us live with a worshipful heart. We praise you for you alone are worthy of it. I praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.